Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. Is it a hard road to tow at the moment? I mean, I know everyone talking to my peers, and I'm getting up for 70, everyone's a bit nervous. You know, they think, oh my God, you know, what are we going to do? Particularly with KiwiSaver there saying, yeah. and I know that you're, you're of the view, staying there for the long haul. But once you get to 70, the long haul ain't that long. Yeah, that's right. Look, um, at the moment it is a little bit difficult. There's a lot of negativity in the news. I mean, you only pick up the newspaper or jump onto Facebook and you fill your bucket with negativity. Yes. If you choose to read it and consume it and live by it. I always say to people that, look, you know, anything that's for free on social media is free for a reason. It's designed to entice you to read it and, you know, negative news sells. I always does. remind Absolutely. people of that. Yeah. But the interesting thing that you pivot there and just talk about um, KiwiSaver, and that is that it's a bit of a fallacy, really, and that's where a lot of people say, hey, you should always, you know, have your KiwiSaver with your bank. But the problem is you talked about folk that are 70 years of age in your cohort and also happen to be my, my dad is in that same cohort. And that is that if you have your KiwiSaver with your banking, you don't need to check on your KiwiSaver every day no. as one would do with your banking. So what happens is that because everything is together, you cannot avoid yes, looking at it. Right. It's there. It's like talking to you all the time. It's human nature though, isn't it? Yeah, whereas, you know, I don't know many people that go on to homes.co.nz and do a perpetual refresh every day to find out if the value of their home has gone up or down. Mm. Okay, but imagine if the value of your home was on your bank statement every single day. Yes. You know, it would just heighten your sense of anxiety. It would likely uh, decrease your mental wellness. And, you know, you're either going to have a really good or a really bad day. And that's just unfortunate. So that's why I say to people that they just need to be careful what they consume, but they also need to focus on the long term. And KiwiSaver, it's a long term game. It's a long term. And just to uh, mention on that, yes. bricks, bricks and mortar, yes, if you do check your values on RV, they have gone down. Mm. And it's mm. quite substantially in some cases. Yeah, yeah, it is. It depends on which particular fund and which type of exposure one has. But on average, they um, they all have declined unless you were in cash. Yeah. But there are not many people that have their KiwiSaver 100% exposed to cash. No. And yeah. we spoke about it last time. It's also a good time for people to make money, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, look, um, and you know, you've heard me, you've heard the quote, and any uh, listener has heard me say before that, you know, the market is an incredible pricing instrument, but it also, it rewards the patient, mm -hmm. and it can transfer wealth away from the impatient to the patient. And... When you think about it like that, it's like at the moment, you know, people are making decisions based on a little bit of emotion, potentially a little bit of fear, a little bit of the unknown. And yet there are those that are acquiring securities today, in other words, shares or bonds or units and property or a whole property in itself. And because they're buying with the price having come down, 
they're actually locking in a yeah, fairly attractive rate of return going forward. How long do you think the cycle's going to go on for, Nick? Um, well, you and I have spoken about it before, and that's that there's likely going to be volatility for the period of time that reserve banks are continuing to try to tame the inflation dragon, which is what they're doing at the moment. And we just don't quite know how long that's going to take. I mean, the Reserve Bank, our Reserve Bank mm-hmm. of New Zealand, is forecasting that we're going to have an accelerated steepening of the curve. So in other words, in simple terms, higher interest rates for roughly the next 18 to 20 months. Right. But that, in my view, is potentially could be um, looking at the glass half empty mm-hmm. because it may actually turn out that we actually we control inflation quicker than we have expected to do, which would mean the central banks around the world would be able to stop their tightening cycle, or um, in another way would be to say that they stop increasing interest rates and we move back to a more normal regime. There's the potential that that happens sooner than the market and market participants are um, believing at the current time. Tell us about trusting the swing. Well, trusting the swing, that was something the other day where it was really unfortunate. One of our colleagues in our Wellington office uh, passed away recently, mm-hmm. and he had, a, um, unfortunately, a terminal illness. And I wrote this article as a bit of a nod to him because he was an avid golfer, just loved playing golf. And so trusting the swing was where we thought about it. We said, well, if you look at pro golfers, you don't see a pro golfer carrying their own clubs. And it's a little bit like at the moment, if you think about an investor in the market, Think about them as like, a, you know, anyone that's delving into investment, they're dealing in error and in an occupation that is professional. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that, a, a golfer has, has a caddy, and the caddy doesn't just carry the clubs. They play the course beforehand. They identify the areas of difficulty, what the terrain looks like, what the grass is like, the moisture content you name it, they are reading everything and they're feeding that in to the golfer, the pro golfer. And you think about it like that on investment and you say, would you want to play the investment game without a caddy? Mm. The other thing, a pro golfer, there are no rules to say that you don't have to have a caddy. No. So if you're a pro golfer and you want to keep all the winnings for yourself, you could. Yeah, don't you have just a caddy. carry your own clubs. Yeah, how hard could that be? <laughs> Well, it's funny. No one does. Everyone That's has a caddy. Right. And, you know, like in the caddy, you can see them chatting with one another. And, you know, that careful club selection. And keeping a person's absolute mental game, keeping it through 18 holes. Yep. Not nine, 18. Like hard work. And because, you know, for people to maintain their mental thought, their emotion, and to keep on focus isn't easy. And there is no difference between a pro golfer and someone who's in a long-term investment. In other words, someone who's, say, even someone who's 65 and retiring, they're going to be on the planet for another 30 years. That's right. They need a caddy, okay? Are you surprised at how many people don't have caddies in the financial world? Yeah, it does surprise me. But then again, then I read the negative stories in the media about people making massive mistakes. And Mm -hmm. I say, well, you know, perhaps a caddy may have kept them out of the water, kept them out of the rough. indeed. And, and the other thing, Ken, if you think about a golfer, you can have a great game. You can play an amazing 17 holes, and yep. you can blow it on the 18th, mm-hmm. right? Investment's no different. Imagine if on the 23rd of March 2020, when the market hit the floor after COVID, right? COVID was announced, bang, the market just tanked. Well, imagine if you hadn't had a caddy, you'd drop your shot into the water, and you had cashed in all your investments. Well, you missed 
the largest bull run. Mm, yes. Yeah, and sorry, uh, uh, listeners, uh, you know, a bull run is where the market is very, very positive and appreciates at an extraordinary rate. Yeah, absolutely. All right, what are some of the key factors that we should be looking for when we want a caddy for investing? Uh, well, one, it's someone that you trust. Yep. Uh, because the relationship between a pro golfer and a caddy is one based on trust. So how do you know that, though, when you, when, when you first enter that market? You say, well, who can I trust? I mean, I trust you with my life, almost. Yeah but, but, <laughs> yeah, but you and I have developed trust over yes. a period of time, Ken, where we get to know one another. And that's why I say to people, you don't just give someone trust automatically. And I find that a lot of people that work with me have have followed what I do and have read my articles for a very long period of time. It's me that has a shallow relationship because I've only met them for the first or second time. Yes. Whereas they've actually had the ability to watch me for a long period of yeah. time. And you have been here for 35 years. Exactly. Yeah. Correct. You were talking in your article that you sent me, uh, you want someone who's independent. What does that mean? Well, someone that doesn't have a conflict of interest. So in other words, someone that doesn't own the product that they are trying to encourage you to invest in, mm-hmm. because that's, that is not a fiduciary relationship. No. That's one where uh, the person has an embedded interest to encourage you to consume that particular investment or invest in it. So someone who's independent has no conflicts. And the other thing is not just for them to be independent, but for the person to be fee only. So there is no commission. Yeah. Because it's very difficult for you to say to someone, so you are going to give me this advice for free, mm-hmm. and you're telling me that it's in my best interest, but I don't pay you for it. And you're paid by the provider to give me that advice? Mm. I mean, it smells. It's it so smells a mile off. I mean, there's no way you can fluff it any other way. That is not independent advice. So someone like yourself, I mean, you wouldn't give someone the wink and say, look, I think you know, should look at judge shares, for instance. Do you remember judge shares? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. one of the the 1980s yeah. uh, icons. Do people do that in this day and age still? I'm sure there are people that do it. Certainly doesn't happen uh, in our office. That would be uh, a breach of our code of conduct as advisors. Mm-hmm. And, look, everything needs to be thoroughly researched, documented. There needs to be an advice document around what we say, what we do. And there's quite a process around that. Yeah, so those days of the 1980s and kind of mid-2000s, they're long gone in the profession. I'm sure that there'll be anecdotal evidence that there are some bottom dwellers that are still playing that type of game. I'm sure there are. Although I do suppose that someone coming to see you for some financial advice might well say to you, "Okay, well, look, I'm new to this. Got a couple hundred grand to invest. What are you suggesting? I mean, if they're putting that question to you, yes. what, what are you going to say to them? You're going to say, well, that's up to you. You're not going to say that, are you? Uh, no, no, we wouldn't. We would firstly want to understand their goals and objectives, kind of get an understanding of their risk tolerance and appetite. In other words, you know, do they have any experience of investing? Um, you know, are they a, an inherently conservative individual who wouldn't travel well if markets were declined for a short to medium period of time? Those sort of things. But then you, natural other aspects are like how much cash flow do they do they need to meet their lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how many children do they have? Um, do they have debt? You name it. I mean, you know, are they married? Are they single? Look, there are so many things that come in to formulating a financial plan and giving someone sage, holistic financial advice. Mm-hmm. And it's something that takes a little bit of time. It's not like going to McDonald's, ordering your burger on the screen. And then they call your number and five minutes later you're consuming your burger. Mm. Financial advice is not like that. It requires a lot of time and thought. Now, there are going to be some people who, yep, they seek no advice, buy one share. It does really, really well and solves all their ills. Mm. 
We've all heard about those type of people. <laughs> but I can tell you what, if you look at normal distribution curve, so in other words, you know, imagine a hill. In a normal distribution curve, there's a lot of people in the middle, the average, and then you've got these tails, the 5th and the 95th percentile. You're going to find in those cases, you hear about way down one end, you hear about a couple of people that are really, really successful, but down the other end, you're going to have a whole lot of other people at the other end of the yes. curve who have done really, really badly, and it has not gone well. I would guess that anyone can hang up a shingle, become a financial advisor. How do we know we've got the right one? Well, actually, it's actually difficult to hang up oh, a shingle. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it is. Yeah, very, actually. <laughs> um, one, you have to be registered on the financial services provider's register. You've got to meet certain requirements. And as of the 15th of March next year, you actually have to work with a licensed business mm. called a financial advice provider we happen to be one of those we've already processed our license and we did that before christmas last year but there are a lot of people that haven't yet so we're kind of expecting to see a little bit of a a rush coming up besides someone coming to see someone like yourself which yes. is what i would recommend who else might uh, the person who's not in the know who else would they possibly turn to would they go to their bank and say look i've got a couple of hundred grand to invest what can you advise and would the bank suggest there have actually been you know the banks have actually thinned up their ranks of financial advisors mm-hmm. over the last number of years as banks have gone back to focusing on their on their core business which is you know term deposits and and mortgages and business lending and financial advice in terms of investment has not been flavour of the month. In fact, you know, a lot of the banks have actually sold their uh, wealth management and financial services divisions. So it's only recently that a Kiwi bank sold off their insurance mm-hmm. arm. Uh, it's kind of the worst kept market secret at the moment that they're selling off investment in KiwiSaver uh, division at the moment. So people going to a bank to seek advice may find that, yep, they might be dealing with a teller, but the advice will be very, very limited in scope and nature. So what are your uh, couple of top tips for trusting your financial caddy that you might give to a punter? Firstly, um, ask that they're independent and that they um, detail any conflicts that they may have. Secondly, probably most importantly, ask for an understanding of their compensation or their remuneration. And the gold standard is that they are a fee-only advisor. Yeah. Now that's a great segue into our next topic, which is diversification, which is one of your favorite words, yeah, uh, the yeah. World Cup of Investing. And we're coming off a great weekend as we record this program where the, uh, the oh, All Blacks thrashed the old Irish, didn't they? Oh, they did. I know. And, you know, if you look over the last five years, it's the Irish that have always given us yes, trouble. haven't they? They're, you know, a great team. They can really get it up when they want to. But just those last couple of games, you know, against the Mouldy All Blacks and then against the uh, ABs over the weekend. Well, what was the quote on that Mouldy All Black game? Was that the the Irish team stayed in the stand? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a great result for the Mouldy ABs anyway. But um, the reason why we wrote this particular article and we're having a chat about it today is that even though... The All Blacks are the most successful sporting team on the planet, bar none. Like, they are it's it, amazing in yep. terms of their record. Even despite being the best, there are periods of time when they enter a lull, and that's why you need diversification. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if all you had ever done was invested with the All Blacks, yep. if the All Blacks were a listed company, etc. Because the All Blacks' odds at the TAB are always quite low because they're always expected to mm-hmm. win. But what happens when they don't? Yeah. So what's happened, and, and not these last two games against the Irish, but against um, some of the other games in the last couple of years, the Irish have beaten us. 
And that's why diversification. It's really important because not every stock, not every bond, not every sports team, not every all-black team every year will be the winner. So you need diversification. And what sort of mix would you be suggesting to someone who, so you're talking about diversification, I know that uh, I'm, I've been a big fan over the years, and I did invest in property way back when I was much, 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 much younger. Yes. But uh, to me, it was always a thing that you, you could buy a house, you could go around and have a bit of a squeeze at it. It's still there. Uh, you can see it appreciating in value. Yes. Um, whereas, you know, we, again, we've talked about the share market. You, unless you're on it every day, mm, it's a, I'm a bricks and mortar guy, and I still would be if I had any money. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's yourself, yeah. whereas there are others that require a little bit more liquidity. And ultimately, if we look around the developed markets of the world, the, the highest performing asset class are shares or equities mm-hmm. long term, not residential property. New Zealand is slightly unusual in that our residential property really hasn't had any form of negative return no. for quite a long time, whereas other nations, Britain, Canada, the United States... Australia, Ireland, they have had periods in the last 30 years where property prices have been depressed for quite a period of time. What do you put that down to? I mean, you know, everyone's saying that you can't get a house anywhere. Um, in, in, in most countries, they say, well, you know, you well, just um, cannot rent or buy. Well, well, actually, it's interesting. So um, Trade Me put out their rental stats overnight, and there's been a surge in the number of, um, of the amount of rental accommodation that's available. Really? Which I did a bit of a double take because that's something that I had not expected mm. to, to hear, but apparently that is the case. That was Trade Me last night. And then you've seen, of course, if you were trying to buy a house at Hooks Bay long weekend last year in October, Versus today, yes. today the world is your oyster. If you can go unconditional cash, boy, yeah. there are a lot of properties and a lot of transactions and you can get a really nice discount on your acquisition right now. So it always does come back to that cash is king, isn't it? Cash really? is king. Yeah. But, but, what, but if we go back to that kind of preface about uh, asset classes, so if we think about the across New Zealand at the moment, property is down 7% mm-hmm. okay, on average. Now, there are some cities, it's actually down a lot more than that, others not so much, okay? So, for example, Auckland is down a lot more than seven, and Canterbury is down less, because Canterbury never had the big surge up that Auckland did. But if you think about it, that if the average new person buying a home has a leverage factor of 75%, right? Mm -hmm. So they they buy a million-dollar house, and I've got $750,000 of debt, and the property price declines by 5%. They haven't lost 5%. No. They have lost a magnitude of three times that amount because of the leverage. Mm. And if they have a 50% mortgage on their property and the property drops by 5%, the bank doesn't lose 5%. That's right. Ken, if you and I own it, you and I have just lost 10. So so the fact that that we've had a 7% compression across the whole of New Zealand, there are a lot of people at the moment on average who are probably sporting a 15 to 20% loss on their family home, their single largest asset. A lot of them don't think about it like that. So if the stock market drops by 10%, it's a 10% drop because not many people are leveraged into shares. Mm -hmm. They don't borrow to buy shares, but everyone borrows to buy a house. So because of that magnitude of leverage, there are a lot of people out there at the moment where their balance sheet has actually, or in other words, their net worth has actually shrunk actually quite a lot. But it's really only an issue if you're thinking of selling, isn't it? So if you're going to be there Correct. for the long haul living in that house, yeah, it's going to come right, isn't Absolutely it? Absolutely spot on. And, and, and that is the same with KiwiSaver. That's the same with if you're buying an industrial commercial property, is that the price that is offered to you today is only the price on paper. Mm. You have to actually 
cross the threshold and commit to sell, and now it's realised. Are finding in these uncertain times that, uh, let's call them mum and dad investors, are they stepping away from investing full stop, or are they reassessing investing that they're doing? What, what is happening out there? Yeah, the surveys that I've read have shown that people, that sentiment has pulled back a touch. It's interesting. It's still net positive. Mm. So it shows there's still a lot of cash in the community that people are looking to deploy. But it's nowhere near the peak that it was at Christmas. Yeah. Like, Ken, just before the show, you and I quickly just spoke about crypto and yeah. Bitcoin and things like that. Well, despite the blood on the floor with crypto, there are still people yeah, <laughs> that, it's on amazing. the surveys <laughs> that want to buy crypto. Just tells you that, look, there is, a lot of, there is still a lot of liquidity or a lot of cash parked on the sideline in the community that people have at their deployment to uh, invest in certain assets. And people, it would appear that they want to invest in a broad spectrum of assets. Last question before we get out of here. Um, What indicator are you looking for as a financial advisor to say that the economy is turning? The term, and you would have heard it before, is green shoots. Mm -hmm. So a little bit like a farmer in spring. You know, when those green shoots start to come through, you know, the ground temperature's warming, that the days are getting longer. You know, like, it's a great time to be alive in Hawke's Bay. Whereas at the moment, it's really, really hard to find any green shoots. And for me, as someone who buys a lot of paid media, so in other words, I buy a lot of research. I don't just look at things on the Herald app or stuff. You know, I'm actually buying Mm. material. And even there, it's difficult to find at the present time the positive news. And that's really, in reality, that's kind of where you've got that alignment where so the stock market has pulled back considerably, which it naturally does every time. On the flip side, when the green shoots appear, the market bounces back very, very quickly, as it did in like March 2009. So if you think about the last time that we had um, severe turbulence like this, ignoring COVID, Mm -hmm. because COVID was quite unique. If we look back at, say, the global financial crisis of 2008, 2009, stock prices hit the floor immediately, right? They had priced in Armageddon, and that was just the way that it was. March, April 2009, stocks started lifting very aggressively, like prices started rising. And yet in New Zealand, we had properties and finance companies failing in 9, 10, 11, and 12. Mm. So in other words, that kind of train wreck, that circus, was a little bit like having some old diesel car that's <laughs> leaking oil and eventually, you know, the, you know, the engine's going to die, but it keeps ticking on for a little bit longer. Whereas, you know, the green shoots on equities or shares, as soon as the green shoots appear, the market will start lifting. Whereas, potentially, on some of the other asset classes, we're in for a a more prolonged period as we need a little bit of a washout to occur. So green shoots 2024? Oh, I hope not. Man, (laughs) (laughs) there's there's two springs before then, Ken. Um, No, no, no. No, I would expect that we'll start to see people starting to kind of readjust what they're doing and accept the new norm and when people accept the new norm people start to change their behavior patterns and change the way they invest change the way they think change their spending and they adapt we did in covid we did in the global financial crisis we will do it again good on you nick just remind our listeners we want to come and see you for some sound financial advice where are you we are at 204 academy road in hastings that's the black basalt stone building with the tartan logo and solar panels or on the terrace in Wellington.